Hello, fellow griever. This is the Leftover Pieces Suicide Loss Conversations podcast, and I am Melissa, your host. This week, you have found yourself with me for one of my shorter, solo, down-the-rabbit-hole episodes. Here, I take you with me on a journey of sorts, through thoughts in my own griefy mind. Some days, I may tackle topics as if I am in Alice's shoes, slaying the Jabberwocky, and on others, I may end up in my own pool of tears, or I may just go a bit sideways and paint the proverbial roses red, but I always promise an adventure. So let's dive down the rabbit hole and see just what sorts of madness we might discover together. I am glad you have joined me, because while I do know how lonely this grief is, I also believe we needn't be alone. Welcome. Hello, fellow griever, and welcome to today's Down the Rabbit Hole podcast episode. Today is January 22nd, 2023, and later today, Lisa Marie Presley will be laid to rest next to her father, Elvis, her grandmother and grandfather, her great-grandmother, and most notably to all of us listening, her precious son, Benjamin Keough, who died by suicide on July 12th, of 2020. And I've decided to talk about this today for a couple of reasons. It's been 10 days since Lisa Marie died on January 12th, very suddenly of a heart attack. It's been two and a half years since her beloved Benjamin died. And I'm just going to tell you that from the moment I heard that she had passed I felt greatly affected. It hit really hard for some reason. And I know a lot of us have experienced this when someone well-known or a celebrity dies and we feel strangely overly affected. Like I was questioning, what in the world am I so sad about? I didn't know her personally. Yes, I knew of her my entire life. I am the same age as Lisa Marie Presley. I remember where I was at at nine years old, the same age she was when her famous father died and we heard about it in the news. I remember standing in a Payless shoe source with my mother and my brother looking for school shoes when we heard about Elvis's death. And I remember the reaction that my mother had. We left. We didn't even finish buying our shoes because she was so distraught. And I remember at the time as a kid thinking, who, what, why is mom so upset about this? But it just makes me think about the fact that we are all affected when someone we feel that somehow we are close to because we've shared memories and all of these things with them over time, how maybe they've played an an important role in our life. Well, I found myself questioning Lisa Marie and why her particular death 
affected me probably more than I felt affected when I heard about the loss of her son. And I'll take you back two and a half years to when I remember seeing the announcement that she had lost her precious Ben to suicide in 2020. At that point, my son Alex had been gone just almost four years. Alex died on August 7th of 2016. And I remember thinking, not another mom, not another mom in this club, not another child gone way too soon for reasons that we have such a hard time understanding. And I know that Lisa Marie spent a great deal of the first two years of her life after the loss of her son by suicide in isolation. She didn't speak publicly about his loss or grief for two years. And when she did come out last year, in 2022, in honor of National Grief Awareness Day, the interview was conducted by People Magazine, and they published an essay from Lisa. And I'm going to read that essay because I feel like it's really poignant, and I feel like it bears repeating on today of all days. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit more about some of why I feel like this has affected me, and I'm sure undoubtedly has affected so many other people. But I think at the top of this for me was that she was a fellow suicide loss grieving mom. She knew what this level of devastation is like. She understood that, and that transcended any other barriers in my mind that stood between us that just made us both moms that knew what it was like to have our hearts shattered and to not know how to start picking them up and how to go about living in the wake of this loss. When I think about some of the things that from afar I loved about her the most, one of them truly is her voice. It took her quite a while into adulthood to find her own singing voice. But when she did, I just loved it. It was bluesy and it was soulful. And while, yes, there's a reminiscence of Elvis there, her voice was most definitely her own, as was her style. She had an amazing humanitarian heart. Lots of people talked about her humor and her laughter. But she always seemed to be honestly and genuinely herself. While she had many public struggles um, to find herself and to get through uh, different trials in her life, she never seemed to waver or apologize for being who she was. But one of the things I admired the most about her was her commitment to her kids, her fierce protection of them, and her unwavering dedication as a mother. And strangely, I also felt a connection to her because of her father and a crossover that I had with Alex, because to this day, one of the videos that I list, I listen to, I know that sounds funny to say I listen to a video because I obviously watch it too, 
But one of the clips of my son's voice that I go to every single time I need to hear him again is a video um, of when he was in show choir in high school. And he opened this particular um, performance with the beginning part as his solo of Jailhouse Rock. And so to hear my son singing Elvis as much as I have in the last six years does feel like a connection to me. So even though it is an indirect connection to her, it connects me in a way to her family's legacy because I will be listening to this song that Alex sings for the rest of my life. When I think about Alex and some of his musical idols that he might be frolicking around with on the other side, I often think of the singer from Hawaii, the famous voice of Hawaii, Israel is, is what most people refer to him as, but Israel Kamakal Viva Ole, who sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, because Alex just adored that song. And it was one of the songs he listened to a lot in his last couple weeks. So it is both comforting and haunting to me at times, because I don't know why that song. And that's not entirely true. I have received answers that feel um, valid and confirming since losing Alex in different ways that not only confirm different things that feel connected to me, that feel intentional with synchronicities and signs and overlaps, but that's another episode. I'm not going to go into all of that today, but I do want to get back to the idea that I think part of the reason that celebrity deaths affect us so deeply is that it takes people that to us feel untouchable or larger than life, and it humanizes them. It puts them on a level with the rest of us, because everybody dies, everybody loves, everybody grieves. It just somewhat equals the playing field, doesn't it? And when you are a person who is an empath, or sometimes you hear that referred to as a highly sensitive person, as I feel like I was on some level before losing my son and have definitely had the volume turned up, if you will, to feeling like I'm super sensitive since the loss of him. So being somebody who feels things kind of on a deeper level and takes on other people's feelings, I have to really be acutely aware of when I am overly affected by death or grief, because in this world that I live in, especially with the podcast and all of the different groups and things, I have to stay really attuned to how that affects me. And so if you're also somebody that's affected deeply by other loss or um, difficult situations, I did read an article recently that was actually a funeral director, um, mortician, who feels they're a highly sensitive person, and talked a little bit about how they deal with some of that. And I'm just going to give you a couple of really quick bullet points on what they talked about in case you also are this kind of person. But the one of the first tips they talked about was 
it's okay to cry. And crying is actually very therapeutic. It helps us move this energy out of their body, out of our body. And that isn't how they put it, but that's what I took from that point. They also talked about um, reading, watching videos, listening to things, things that immerse you in who that person were, whether it's a movie, if they were a movie star, if they were a, a musician like Lisa Marie, you can listen to their music. And I actually read this article just a few days ago, but I listened to both of her albums multiple times in the probably 48 hours after her death. And was actually upset with myself that I hadn't listened to both of those albums in completion before. Because again, she had an amazing voice and soul and it came out in her music. Um, So I did that as well without, you know, knowing that this was part of his tip. But I did it because it helps. It helped to associate with her and to feel because it gave me a look. And this is one of the points too, if I remember right, it gave me a look at her legacy. It gave me um, commonalities that I could find to share with her through the feelings that she put out. Um, Also, one of the things he talks about, and there's two of them that kind of overlapped, but he talked about connection, um, finding a way to connect with other people that are affected, which most of us do that online nowadays, right? We get on social media and we comment or we read and we find ourselves connecting with the emotions that other people are having about this loss. And we also have to sometimes agree to ignore that if other people in our lives find it silly or, you know, not necessary that we're affected by a celebrity's death, we have to agree to say, it just affects me and I can't explain why. In other words, we have to dismiss people that might not understand. And one of the final things he talked about, there were several other points and all of them don't necessarily apply to a celebrity death like this that I'm talking about today. But the final point that kind of does is in processing through the emotions that I was having after Lisa Marie died, I had to also not focus on the actual death and how she died. And that's, I had to um, focus on how she made me feel in life, which is one of the things that I talk about when people are ready to start to live forward and take their child or loved one with them in life as they move forward, not move on. Um, I think about how she made me feel in life while she was here. Now, talking about not focusing on her death, obviously, is something that those of us in when we lose someone to suicide, have to learn to do at some point also so that we can learn to live in the light of their life. But where Lisa Marie was concerned, and this takes me back to one of the points that I made earlier, where she was concerned and her death was concerned for me, one of the reasons I think it hit me the hardest is there was a lot of speculation about whether she died from broken heart syndrome, which is a real medical diagnosis. It has to do with, you know, this, the stress and pressure and everything that happens with the chemicals and everything that's occurring in our body when we're under the amount of trauma and stress we are after losing someone this close to us to suicide, in this case, her son. And that just really hit home with me. Now, I know that 
Lisa Marie, we think. I'm not sure if there's been definitive things reported, but it has been reported for years that Elvis died, even though there's been speculation of other things, and we know that there were drugs in his system, that he ultimately died of heart failure. Yes, due to drug overdose, and yes, due to an unhealthy lifestyle, but heart failure nonetheless. And they are now talking about the fact that heart issues very well may have ran in their family. So did she die exclusively of broken heart syndrome? Or did broken heart syndrome simply contribute to an underlying condition or genetic predisposition she had to heart failure? I'm not sure you're going to get any of us moms that are a part of this suicide loss community to believe that the loss of her son didn't contribute to her death because I believe wholeheartedly it did. I know that she was two and a half years out from her son's death. And I remember at three and a half years when I had my mini stroke, a trans ischemic attack, also known as a TIA, that that was my wake up call, that I too knew that grief was taking its toll and that I had to really dig deep and do some some real work to move forward at that point because I knew that this felt at times like it could kill me. And so I do believe that that contributed and it made it that much, I think, not only more sad for me, but it also felt more real and scary. I remember admitting out loud a few days into my husband that it made me think about whether I was more vulnerable to things like a heart attack or obviously now a stroke because of my broken heart. And I don't have any answer as to how we completely eradicate that. Maybe we can't eradicate that risk completely, but we can do the very best we know how in trying to find a way to live with their legacy and to live in the light of their life and to move forward the best that we know how. And I think that that's also part of the sadness as Lisa was just starting to do that. She was just starting to come out and talk more openly. Apparently, she had been hosting online grief support groups with David Kessler for quite some time. And a lot of people that were in the groups didn't even realize, I don't know if maybe she wasn't on camera, so they didn't know who she was. But from what I've read, they didn't necessarily know that she was who she was. They just knew she was a facilitator of these grief groups that David Kessler did. And in recent times, actually, there was a photograph of them taken just days before she died not at the Golden Globes, but he was with her at the 88th celebration of Elvis's birthday at Graceland just the weekend before she died. And there was a picture of her with David Kessler. And according to him, they had spent a good amount of that time sitting together talking about some of their upcoming plans, including a planned podcast that the two of them were going to do together on traumatic loss and grief. And so... It just feels that much sadder and tragic to think that she was just getting to that place when she died. So I'm going to end 
this podcast by reading the People article, or more importantly, People published this essay that Lisa Marie wrote to all of us on National Grief Awareness Day. So I'm going to read it. It's not very brief, but it's also not overly long. Because if you haven't read it, I think that you should hear what she had to say. And if you have read it like I have, I think listening to it again at this particular time might mean something to you just like it does to me. Lisa said, Today is National Grief Awareness Day, and since I have been living in the horrific reality that of its unrelenting grips since my son's death two years ago, I thought I would share a few things to be aware of in regard to grief for anyone who is interested. If not, to help yourself, but maybe to help another one who is grieving. This is not a comfortable subject for anyone, and it is most unpopular to talk about. This is quite long, potentially triggering, and very hard to confront. But if we're going to make any progress on this subject, grief has to get talked about. I'm sharing my thoughts in the hopes that somehow we can change. Death is a part of life, whether we like it or not, and so is grieving. There is so much to learn and understand on the subject, but here's what I know so far. One is that grief does not stop or go away in any sense, a year or years after the loss. Grief is something that you will have to carry for you for the rest of your life in spite of what certain people or our culture wants you to believe. You do not get over it. You do not move on. Period. Two, grief is incredibly lonely. Despite people coming in the heat of the moment to be there for you right after the loss takes place, they soon disappear and go on with their own lives, and they kind of expect you to do the same especially after some time has passed. This includes family as well. If you're incredibly lucky, less than a handful will remain in contact with you after the first month or so. Unfortunately, that is the cold, hard truth for most of us. So if you know someone who has lost a loved one, regardless of how long it's been, please call them to see how they're doing. Go visit them. They will really appreciate it more than you know. Three, and particularly if the loss was premature, unnatural, or tragic, you will become a pariah in a sense. You can feel stigmatized and perhaps judged in some way as to why the tragic loss took place. This becomes magnetized by a million if you are a parent of a child who passed no matter how old they were, no matter the circumstance. I already battle with and beat myself up tirelessly and chronically, blaming myself every single day, and that's hard enough to now live with, but others will judge and blame you too, even secretly or behind your back, which is even more cruel and painful on top of everything else. 
This is where finding others who have experienced a similar loss can be the only way to go. Support groups that have your specific kind of loss in common. I go to them and I hold them for other bereaved parents at my home. Nothing, absolutely nothing, takes away the pain. But finding support can sometimes help you feel a little bit less alone. Your old quote-unquote friends and even your family can and often will run for the hills. The unrelenting reality is that you are forced into this horrendous club, if you will, and if you never, uh, that you never ever wanted to be a part of, and you are forced to then, for lack of a better term, have to go out and find your new people now. I truly cherish the few who have stayed in there with us throughout this entire nightmare process from the onset. And I also have now come to love and cherish my newfound friends who are in this same quote unquote club. If I'm being honest, I can understand why people may want to avoid you once a terrible tragedy has struck, especially a parent losing their child because it's truly your worst nightmare. I can recall a couple of times in my life when I knew parents who lost their child And while I could be there for them when it happened, I avoided them after and never bothered to follow up with them because they quite literally became a representative of my biggest fear. I also low-key judged them, and I swore I'd never do whatever it was that I felt like either they either did or neglected to do in their parental actions and choices with their child. Yet, here I am. I'm now living what it's like to be the same representative to other parents. Obviously, no parent chooses this road. And thankfully, not all parents will have to become a victim of it. And I do mean victim here. I used to hate that word. Now I know why I've dealt with death, grief, and loss since the age of nine years old. And I've made more than anyone's fair share of it in my lifetime, and somehow I've made it this far. But this one, the death of my beautiful, beautiful son, the sweetest and most incredible being that I've ever had the privilege of knowing, who made me feel so honored every day to be his mother, who was so much like his grandfather on so many levels that he actually scared me, which made me worry about him even more than I naturally would have? No. Just no, no, no. It's a real choice to keep going, one that I have made every single day, and one that I constantly am challenging, to say the least. But I keep going for my girls. I keep going because my son made it very clear in his final moments that taking care of his little sisters and looking out for them were on the forefront of his concerns and his mind. He absolutely adored them, and they him. My and my three daughters' lives, as well as we knew it, were completely detonated and destroyed by his death. We lived this every single 
day. I am saying all this on this particular day, National Grief Awareness Day, in the hopes that I can help raise some awareness of grief and loss. Just know, after this day passes, for all of your friends who have loved ones die, every day is Grief Awareness Day. I'm saying this in hopes that it helps someone who is suffering as I and my children suffer, in the hopes that they may, maybe today, or as soon as possible, you can reach out to someone who is grieving, someone they loved and lost, whether they lost a child, a parent, a spouse, a sibling, a fiancé, or anyone. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them to talk about their person. Yes, we do want to talk about them. That's how they, we keep them alive in our hearts. That's how they don't get forgotten. And that's what keeps us alive as well. And do me a favor. Don't tell them you can't imagine their pain. The truth is, oh yes, you can. You just don't want to. Thanks for reading this. I know how hard and triggering it is. But maybe let it trigger you to reach out to someone who needs it right now, rather than just it triggering something bad. Those were the words written with all of her love and all of her pain signed most sincerely, L.M.P. I remember the first time I read those words, and I remember feeling that soul connection with her as a mother. And today, may she rest in peace. I remember her as well. Until next time, fellow grievers, talk soon. So we'll conclude here for today. But I just wanted to say a few things before you go. If you're new to the podcast and have not listened to the very first episode called Intro Episode Start Here, all the way back at the beginning of Season 1, I would encourage you to do so so that you know what to expect from the leftover pieces, because I do have several different styles of episodes that I record, and we do release weekly, almost all of the time. So I hope that you will come back often to join us in this community of suicide loss survivors. If you have not already, also, I would encourage you to check out the leftoverpieces.com where you can find and have access to all of the things that I currently offer. Some of those things are online Zoom support groups, links to my books, educational opportunities that I'm adding all the time, as well as different downloadables, and resources for all suicide loss survivors. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, or you'd just like to connect with me for any other reason, you can do it through the website as well. So until next time, I just want to remind you that I know how lonely this grief is, but you don't have to be alone. Talk soon.